0: think but not as we know it <laughs> this is big Five, four, three, two. Welcome to the BashCast. This is BashCast, episode number 185. It is 21 minutes past 3pm. On Friday, the 14th of January, 2022. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, We have a look at those virtual doubles. Some betting history over Christmas, beginning of the year. Sort of how the coupons have been doing recently. An outrageously lucky, lucky 15. An outrageously unlucky, lucky 15. Summarise how the golf has gone over the Pacific Ocean. look at the African Cup of Unders that is back for 2022 then after the break we have a discussion about the source of wealth the all party parliamentary group all these changes in legislation that seem to be on the horizon for us this year, what they mean and what we can do about any of them all of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this afternoon Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, welcome 2022, and whatever it has in store for all of us. Hope you had a good Christmas. In terms of betting, I got absolutely stuffed over the Christmas break. I'll come to that. I want to cover, because I I feel like it's important to talk about the losing runs. Um, um, equally, I'm comfortable talking about the losing runs because I know I'm a long-term winner. I think it's when you are, or you see people who only talk about winning runs that you have to question whether they're winning, because it's like, how are you just winning all the time? There's a few guys that have popped up on my trade. I won't do them on my Twitter. I won't do them the disservice of mentioning names because I haven't done in-depth investigation, and it wouldn't be fair on their services for me to to comment without the full facts. The only thing I'll say is that a lot of these guys. Um, they seem to be doing things like laying the draw in football, except there's no explanation about why they're laying the draw or what the XG might be or why those two teams might be evenly matched. You know, I don't understand how you can find value in the draw, especially the half-time draw, without having any work done on the expectation of home and away goals in the game. You're just laying the draw because what? Because you think that historically it might be a draw? Surely that's already factored into the price. If you've not done any work on the XG, I mean, to me, maybe there's a magical thing I haven't thought of. And there's another guy who trades horse racing, um, and then he starts with £250 every day, and then he wins between £800 and £1,500 in the day. Uh, Maybe he does. The only thing I'll say is I've never seen him post a losing day, not once ever. And I don't know about you, I have frequent losing days. A losing day for me is more common than a winning day because I win more than I lose. Uh, so I might lose a few hundred on a bad day, a thousand, maybe a little bit more. And then on a good day, I'll win, you know, multiple times that, you know, many thousands. So it cancels out. So, but I don't have very many good days. And a lot of the time I talk on the podcast about my good days because it's more fun to do that. Um, today I'm going to try and, well, I don't know. We'll see. Um, We'll see if I can get through I mean the, the problem with talking about the losers is I have genuinely actually had some winners recently, so maybe I'm just gonna be as um Selective. That's my podcast, I'll do what I want. Um talking about being selective. Christmas is coming on. A bar humbug from me. I'm now firmly in the camp of believing that I have retired from um adult to adult present giving. I opt out um i don't really see the point of it the the problem i have with it is i understand the concept of gift giving for transfer of wealth so you have a wedding you've got a generation who throughout the last since the egypt times have been you know always more wealthy on average than the generation getting married and so they transfer wealth through the concept of wedding gifts downwards um uh, And that's okay. And then the idea of maybe giving my wife a present, yeah, that makes sense. She's done extremely well to put up with me in the last 12 months. She's played a blinder. She got to Christmas. That's the 12 months complete. She can have a present as a result of it. And of course, children are exempt from this rant because um, you love seeing them get excited about Santa and all of that. But adult, adult gift giving, I'm not having it. It seems senseless. I mean beyond the fact that a lot of it is plastic uh, crap, I mean especially these stores that seem to pop up specifically just to have Christmas presents in them that wouldn't exist outside you know, it's like Schrodinger's Christmas present. It doesn't the only reason the item exists is because the person buying it cannot think of another Christmas present. I genuinely saw in a shop a bit of plastic that you put on your head um, with a mini basketball hoop attached to on a pole to this plastic ring that goes above your head and then you're meant to throw this soft spongy ball into the basketball hoop that the person's wearing on their head and that's the christmas present i I mean for the i mean for the love of god what is that that doesn't exist that's not a gift that's not something that the egyptians would have passed from one to another and said cherry that's not myrrh, frankincense or gold that's junk, it's Christmas junk and I'm not going to buy it for you unless you're a child, and even then I'm not going to buy it for you I'm going to get you a Marvel toy um, so um, I'm done with it, and so I've opted out the only issue with opting out is I've opted out <laughs> I haven't necessarily told everyone else that I've opted out, and so I get into that very awkward position where I've bought my wife and my kids some presents for Christmas and um, and I haven't got anyone else, and they've got me stuff. So now uh, it's Christmas Day morning. <laughs> I mean, Christmas Day morning times two around friends and family. And I'm opening gifts up from people. And, um, yeah, I'm not getting any back. And um, a lot of the gifts are fine. It's like a little bit of a chocolate bar. Okay, we'll have the chocolate bar. Two stone i put on over the Christmas break. I've lost half of it already, so it's okay. Um... So, but then I got, get this, I got an AirTag holder, right? I know, I've just checked, the person that gave this to me doesn't listen to the podcast and don't tell them. But I got an AirTag holder. Have you seen these? These could be quite useful if you lose stuff. Um, Apple have come up with AirTags. Uh, So, you know, like, find your friends. You can track your phone or your AirPods or your Mac. Well, this tag can be tracked. So, if you've got some luggage, you can put it on your luggage. Or this is a key ring to go around your keys. So, um two things for this present of an AirTag holder. Firstly, um, I did actually lose stuff all the time back in the day, right? I mean, I was quite careless. I would break stuff, I would break bones, I would break legs, uh, and then uh, um, I would lose stuff, I would lose my wallet, I would lose my phone, I would lose my keys, but then as I've got older, I've sort of um, become more organized. And by becoming more organized, there's a a little key rack by the front door that we put the keys on so we never lose them. Um, I know where my wallet is at all times. My phone's connected to my watch. And if I ever leave that behind the watch, but you know what I mean? And just over time, I've become less careless and more organized. So I don't really lose stuff anymore. So I don't really need the AirTag, but the AirTag holder. But more importantly, I don't have an AirTag. And I was only given the AirTag holder. Now, that's a negative EV present because now... I have this leather ring that goes on my um, keyring, and I have to go and buy the AirTag. I don't have; it didn't come with the AirTag, and the AirTag is thirty pounds. So I'm looking at the Apple sign. I'm like, I have to. It feels a shame to just not use the present that's been given to me by this person. But at the same time, one, I don't have any use for it, and two, I've got, I've got to go and spend thirty pounds on something I've got no use for, none whatsoever. And I'm now stressed out. It is now the 14th of January. So it's a good 21 days since Christmas. I have on my keyring a big bulky brown leather empty AirTag holder and no AirTag in it. Because I can't quite bring myself to spend the £35, but I can't bring myself to chuck away the AirTag holder either. So negative EV present. Sorry, it was. You know, love you, person that gave it to me. Negative EV present. And... A positive EV present, at least for someone less accident-prone than me. I'm a big fan of the cooking. Um, last year, I had a I had a New Year's Eve resolution that every Monday of the year, I wanted to cook something new that I'd never cooked before. And I love going on cookery courses, and I love just putting a little bit of effort into cooking. I enjoy the experience, being in the kitchen, spending some time in there, making something delicious. Putting it on the table, not allowing anyone to eat it until I've Instagrammed it and then tucking in. Drink. Um, so I got one of these um, mandolins for Christmas. Have you seen these? These are like a, uh, a long, flat um, surface. And in the middle of that is a blade. And with that blade, you can cut vegetables very, very, very quickly. You can make um, julienne carrots. You can make sliced courgettes. You can make sliced carrots. You can chop potato very quickly. You can make chips. You can make crinkle cut. You can make all kinds of things with the mandolin. And um, it's a great present for me because I'm a good kitchen guy. I love getting kitchen gadgets. You know what I mean? So, uh, never had a mandolin before. I was like, right, I'm putting this to use. You know, this is going to make the cooking process a lot more efficient. And the very first time I did it, I thought, we'll try and do the thin cut fries, and I'm gonna triple cook them. Um, and I run up my hand down with the potato. Uh, so you cut the potato in half, you got a little holder with the potato, and then you run it down the board, like an iron, like a washboard, and it slices the potato. Um, except the potato, on the very first time I did it, it got stuck in the blades of the mandolin and it was quite firmly stuck. And I thought, well, I could just maybe pull it out, but it seems like it's halfway through. So instead of pulling it out, I'm just gonna get my hand, my actual hand, and I'm gonna push it through the mandolin. So of course I successfully pushed the potato all the way through the blades. I also pushed my finger, my right hand index finger, the way through the blades, I I wedged the finger right into the blade so that the blade went about uh, two centimeters, sort of in deep in cutting through muscle tend. I mean, it's I'll tell you what uh, the mandolin is impressively sharp. So the main the main bit that I'd gone down went straight into my finger, and then the two side bits kind of made prongs on the either side that weren't quite as deep. And as soon as I did it, I went to retract a little bit but my finger was wedged in there it was properly wedged and within i'd say five seconds the whole mandolin is covered in a mixture of potato starch and blood and the blood's coming out at a rate of knots so i just took my left hand whipped the finger off there wrapped the finger up um and it was one of those wrapped it up initially in kitchen paper which obviously turned red very very quickly um and then wrapped it up in layers of plasters um and just went and sat in a talk room for a long time um my wife comes in she takes over she says do you want to go to hospital I said, i'm not going to go to hospital for a little you know it's a scratch on your finger you're saying that out loud uh, because you're the big man you're the big brave man the little kids are around this fine it's just a little scratch in your head you're thinking it's very possible the full finger might have to be amputated but i'm not going to tell anybody that have actually uh chopped my finger off before my right my fourth finger of my right hand my family have history from this my uncle lost three fingers in a farming accident as well lifted up a pipe balanced one end of the pipe on his tractor and then uh, picked up the other pipe and put his three fingers inside and then the first end fell off the tractor and the pipe sliced the three fingers off that were inside the pipe so i sliced off my um fourth finger at the knuckle um, by knocking on a window when i was having an argument with my sister when i was 13 or 14 years old and i knocked at it really hard and the window smashed and it was a you know glass pane that is in a at the front of the house and um, uh, the glass pane just sliced straight through the middle of the finger, um, and Mum wrapped it up in ice, took it to the hospital, and it got reattached su- successfully, um, and had to be in a in a in a splint for the better part of a year, where I couldn't bend the finger, had no feeling at the end of it, um, and I had a party trick when I was maybe seventeen or eighteen, when we went to the pub, where I'd take a cigarette lighter, and I would burn the end of my finger. Uh, just And show people that it didn't hurt Which was just the stupidest thing in the entire world Didn't do it after I was about 18 Until I think late 20s When it did hurt again So it was obviously some nerve growth happened in between that time So regardless um, I'm sat in the dark room um, And um, uh, uh, Dinner finishes And I end up strapping the finger To the middle finger To keep it straight uh, And just leaving it like that um, and that was thank you very much for the mandolin haven't touched it since I did go down to the supermarket to get some more bandages afterwards and I'm doing the whole left hand just driving only which is a bit a bit silly and um I go down to the roundabout I got my son in the back of the car and uh, there's no one around It's a little bit dark and We're at the roundabout, and uh, to my right, a cyclist has come. I'm a cyclist, by the way. I love cycling. I've got a bike. Um, I go cycling with my buddy. Uh, um, I've cycled all my life. I've always had quite nice bikes. I enjoy getting out. But I'm in the car at this instance, and um, it's quite a large roundabout. There's no other cars anywhere. And the cyclist has come from the the road on the right, and has just pulled straight onto the roundabout into the centre lane. And so I pull into the left-hand lane. Now, I think there's plenty of room. This guy, if you ask him, well, I'll tell you what he did. He screamed at the top of his lungs, "Fuck YOU! As he obviously thought that I was endangering him somehow. I mean, genuinely, from my perspective, there was just plenty of room for the two of us. And he alters his course and he he changes his course and he goes into my lane ahead of me and then stops his bike so I have nowhere to go and he's quite a smart gentleman he's got grey quite cleanly cut hair He looks like he's come from the industrial park maybe he's some sort of middle manager there Um, uh, late 50s perhaps Um, uh, deeply deeply stressed and unhappy with his life Or, perhaps, I mean, I just can't in a million years tell you how I had put him in a position where he was concerned about his safety, but perhaps I'm missing something, and I had. So he stops in front of the car, and he's got a helmet on, and he's got a camera on top of the helmet, and he looks down. And he reads out loud, uh, mxy Y two du or whatever my license plate is, um, and he's looking at me whilst he uh, reads that out loud, and then he just goes, um, expect a call from the police a little bit later, buddy. To which I'm thinking, dude, I'm so sorry that you're in such a bad place just now, I mean, you're really... Angry to the point that you want me to feel like my I should be scared that I'm now going to be somehow arrested by the police for the offence of, well, I don't know. I don't think I... I thought I pulled out and there was plenty room for both of us. I'm pretty sure that's what your camera would show to. Again, I always try and be empathetic and look at it from the other person's point of view, maybe in his head. Perhaps even I did. Perhaps I pulled out a little bit close and just didn't even notice. You know, but the guy is uh, he's just a little bit confusing with his behavior. And so I shrug my shoulders and hold up my hands, um, except the left hand still kind of on the steering wheel. So the right hand appears up on the window, and the back of my hand is facing him. And I have bandaged my middle finger and my index finger together, and then around the white bandage, I've used uh, plasters that are the same color as skin. And I realize it may suddenly look like I'm sat in the front seat of my car holding my finger up to this guy, holding my middle finger up to him, which I'm genuinely not doing. I'm I'm sorry. I, what I'm trying to say is, mate, I'm so sorry if you're aggrieved or you're upset over, over this confrontation that the two of us have had, and maybe we can work it out and... Hopefully, you can go home and have a nice evening and have a glass of wine. and Whatever's happened leading up to this point, I hope that's okay as well. And those are the thoughts that are coming through me when I sort of shrug my shoulder and I'm kind of just going, mate, like that, except he can't hear me say mate and he just sees me hold my middle finger up to him in the middle of the car. At which point, the dude absolutely lost it. Listen, that's enough for bike guy. Let's have a look at... um. Oh, the betting's been going. Well, I'll tell you what, the betting PL wasn't exactly um, uh, Christmas friendly. I'll tell you that. We got absolutely annihilated, uh, stuffed. Um, pretty much if I was betting um, team to win and both teams to score, it would be win to nil. If I was betting win to nil, it would be both teams to score. Don't get me started on the beginning of the African Cup of Unders. I'm going to actually talk about that in a little bit. I think it's maybe best exemplified by uh, Betfred's virtual doubles. Betfred's virtual doubles, um, the the problem with them is that... Um, the, the the clustering that happens with the wins and losses can just be unbelievable. We don't have a full data set of results with them because they're not um they're not all available to us. What we do with these virtual doubles is Bet Fred will take twice a day, lunchtime around about 12 to 1 pm and evening around about 5 to 6 pm. He'll take two virtual horse races and he will take maybe the favourite of each horse race and then combine them into a double, and then he will boost the double. It's not always plus EV, um, but we can work the EV out because we know the prices of the horses in that race. We know the overround. We can pessimistic pessimistically, if we want, apply some bias. Um, fave long shot bias. When you are boosting the Fave would make the Fave more likely would bring the probability down, and that would make it optimistic. So we don't actually apply that. Uh, there's not really such a thing as long fave shot, where you apply more bias to the to the um, uh, favourites than you do to the long shots, because people bet bet the favourites a little bit more. I mean, uh, when working this out, it's a lot conjecture. We can't we can't be sure exactly where the bias is. If it's at the back of the field, the middle of the field, the front of the field, the best thing that we can do is be pessimistic and not optimistic when working out value, right? Uh, for pessimistic, at least we're always erring on the side of caution. So we can work out the o- over round. We can work out pessimistic fair odds for the favorite that's been boosted. Um, and so Fred will boost this. And it won't always be plus EV. The average odds he boosts, boosts to is 20 to 1 um, over m- the 300 bets that I've recorded. And bear in mind, I don't record every single one. I just record the ones that I'm on. And since March 2019, two years, I've been on 313. So let, about one every two days, it works out as a So I'm on about 25% of the overall number of virtual doubles uh, that there are. And um, sometimes they can be huge EVs. Sometimes they're the biggest EV that's going around on a particular day, especially a quiet day. Let's just uh, bring the tracker up right now, the second, the bet tracker. And um, I'm just going to have a look at the top bets on the bet tracker. Well, the top bet at Betfred is, well, the second top bet is 108%, which is Dortmund to win both halves. And the top bet is the virtual double Laurie Light in the 1822 and no Griffins in the 1839. Often these horses are running in more than one race in a single day, so it's important to get the right race when working them well. out. And we've got to calculate on the site, so you don't have to work out the overround yourself. Just go to the calculator, search for the horse, and make sure you get the right race and then um, send that over. So that's 14 to 1, that double, 15.0, 12.02 Fair odds, 124.8% EV. So they can be really, really good EV. But because of the magnitude of the odds, you're either running seriously over EV or seriously under uh, unless you're hitting every single one. And even if you're hitting every single one, um, you know, the variance involved at 20 to 1 is just nuts. Uh, since Christmas Day, So that would be... Let me just work that out roughly in my head. 26th to the 31st was six days, and it's the 14th today. So that would be about 20 days. There's been 40 virtual doubles in those 20 days, and there have been seven winners at odds of 20 to one. Uh, You would expect two. Um, Three would be lucky. Um, I wonder what... I I could work it out, but I'm not going to do it now because it involves... Being distracted from the basket but I, could, I wonder what the the statistical likelihood would be you need a maybe a Monte Carlo analysis to do that um, of there being seven winners out of well actually let's do it now it is actually quite easy to work out this Monte Carlo analysis um, so let's say it's 20 to 1 just for fun uh, So you put equals Rand is less than 0.05 um, and if it is we're gonna say winner or one would be easier than winner. And if it isn't, we'll just say zero. And we'll copy that over for 40 cells. Or so how many is that? That's 27. There you go. That's about 40, isn't it? 43. So delete three, three of them. So there you go. And then I'll just take a sum. So in that um we had two. Once I've run that simulation one, I'm just gonna um I'm just gonna run that simulation. Let's do it ten thousand times, shall we? So there we go. And let's just count up how many times we had seven winners. Or more, I guess I've got to do. So you've got 13,000 simulations. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4 equals that. 6, 7, 8, 9, ten. Let's go up to 10. I can't imagine there's very many more than 10. So the, uh, the count is um, this, and the criteria is 0. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's unbelievably lucky. Seriously, it's unbelievably lucky. Let's just get some uh, fractions for you to put this into context. So that's a quick Monte Carlo sim in the background whilst I've done this. So 12% of the time we'll have zero winners. It feels, by the way, that the losing ones that we have are way more than 12. The most amount of winners ever is eight, which happened ten times. No times in my 10,000 simulations did it have nine or more. Eight happens... 007 not point seven percent of the time is that right Put that in percentages um, yeah not point not not 07 wow so really really statistically unlikely right 0.07 i was right the first time how many times does 7 ha- happen which has happened since christmas 0.23% of the time we're running it at a a hotness if you like of a 1 in 500 That's how many times we would have seven winners in a period of um, twenty days. It's quite extraordinary. Unfortunately for me, I've only been on two of them because, as I say, I don't have people in the shop all the time. Um, And looking at the three hundred odd that I have got on, um, the easy thing to tell you is that I have a plus seventeen percent ROI, which is fairly decent although the amount of ev that these things are and the magnitude of the odds you'd actually probably be expecting it to be a little bit higher but 313 odd bets is quite a low sample size at 20 to 1 even a thousand bets i mean at twenty to a 1, thousand bets at even is a decent sample size a thousand bets at 20 to 1 unfortunately isn't the problem with the virtual doubles is to get to three thousand bets it's going to take me 20 years well well assuming that we have the same amount of lockdowns because the shops have been shut so much in the last couple of years since we started. But in that, I'd actually been doing very well around about um, bet number 250. Uh, we were 7,000 pounds up betting each horse, betting each double to win 1,000 pounds. So betting each double to win a 1,000 pounds after 217 bets, so about 7,000 pounds up and then just went on the craziest losing run of all time and all the way down to 2,000. That was a 5,000 pound loss, betting to win 1,000 pounds. I need to win five times just to recover that. During that period, actually, we were asked at Bookie Bashing, by some people that were new that had started um, on virtual doubles for the first time in the autumn to start posting our results graphs and the real problem with me posting my results graph a bit of the same as me posting my coupons graph is it's incomplete at least with things like horse racing and golf you can say these are all the golfers we decided to do before the event started these are all the horses that we downloaded exactly this time and it's complete. But with the virtual doubles, I'm sort of saying um, I bet on these horses on these days, but I didn't bet on these horses on these days. And the difficulty, the problem with that kind of reporting is um, uh, you could very reasonably say, well, why have you counted these winners and not counted these losers? You know what I mean? In order for this data set, to be worthwhile, it would need to be complete, but unfortunately I don't get on both virtual doubles every single day. So regardless, me and other people just went on the craziest losing run in autumn, um, where there may have been one or two winners over months. Uh, and if you didn't happen to get on them, which I don't think we, I did, then you just lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. And, lose and, lose. and with that, I can understand people saying, can you just show me the graphs of the long term of these virtual doubles? Because I haven't made anything, and I've been doing them for months now. And it's like, yeah, they just come in spurts. Uh, they came in spurts in the middle of 2019 at the beginning, at the when the shops reopened in 2020. There have been some utterly crazy spurts, but this is the seven in two weeks. Man, I wish I'd been on all of those. So um, the virtual doubles has taken a recovery. But again, from my peak of 7,000, I'm only back up to 4,000 just now. So there's still a long way to go with that. Now, along with the uh, losing on those... Virtual Doubles. Again, some people were winning. It's just I happen to be losing. Um, But I'll come back to you after 20 years, after 3,000, and it'll be fine. I promise you. Um, The coupons as well. Well, um, an easy headline figure to give you is um, since the 26th of June 2020, which is, I believe, when the shops reopened after lockdown, I started documenting every single result and every team and every coupon as well, sort of more detailed recordings, and I have a plus 19% ROI on that. So that's a really easy headline figure. The, the, the harder figure to give you, again, if we pick the absolute not worst time to start doing them, um, I had a peak of... Um, let's say, £27,000 uh, on the 16th of November, right? 16th of November, £27,000. And then just through November, the beginning of December, the middle of December, and then that awful Christmas period, I'm down to £22,000. I mean, that's a massive sort of f- uh, 20% of that profit lost in a very short period of time with just full busts left, right and centre. Um it's not the whole story. There have been some really close calls in that, specifically the FA Cup third-round weekend, which is traditionally a weekend that we try and target. We had a lot of success with it in 2017. We had a lot of success with it in 2018. Uh, we had a lot of success with it in 2019 to to the um, point where we'd made quite a considerable amount of money. Oh no, it was 2018 that we made a considerable amount of money on that. That went Tens of thousands of pounds. We tried to promote it in 2019. We weren't quite ready with the tech. And when we promoted it, and everybody tried to get on it at the same time. The coupons tracker went down at 2 p.m. before the 3 p.m.'s kickoffs, which is just about the worst time that it could go down. Um, and that meant that um, uh, we were sort of encouraging people to use this and we have blocked people from doing that, unfortunately. This year, um, we had noted that the the big steamers included um, Cambridge United, who, of course, beat Newcastle at 10-1, uh, Kiddermans to Harriers, who beat Reading 2-1. Kiddermans just up the road from me in Worcestershire. Uh, but the big one was um, Barrow, who were uh, away to Barnsley. Barrow have been um, a value team for people that follow lower league football for some time. And... Um, the problem with the match against Barnsley is that in the 38th minute, they're already 1-0 down. They get their um, their striker beddling sent off. So they're now 1-0 down to um, a championship team. Um, this is non-league Barrow. But the gut that they showed, they went 2-0 down, and then they brought it back to 2-all, and then Barnsley take the lead 3-2, Barrow equalised 3-0, Barnsley 4-3. And in the 99th minute or something like that, Barrow equalised again for 4-4. Four four. They, they score four goals. They have a man sent off. And they went on, we got them at 6-1 on the coupon. They went off at 4.8. I'll take that any day of the week, especially compounding them into troubles with other teams. Um, the bet was absolutely fine. The smart Money had got it completely right. Um, there's no way a team that that uh, that competitive should have been ever been six to one or even probably four point eight, but sadly because it was a draw it didn't come in. Um, again, the stupid little things like Shrewsbury to score both halves um, was worth high four figures at ten to one, and they scored early in the first half against Liverpool, couldn't get a goal in the second half, and there's lots of just if 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 of course if I had a cowboy hat. I would be a cowboy. you, you, You always say if for the losers. You never say if for the winners. And so it's not really that fair a judgment call just to look at, oh, I nearly won. I nearly won this if this had happened. Well, yeah, but, you know, you did win that and you wouldn't have done it if it hadn't happened. It's the same valid argument. So I'm being a little bit facetious here. Um, but what I th- think I'm saying is that I'm looking at these bets and say, I'll take these a thousand times out of a thousand. You know, if we run that scenario of my third round coupon bets a thousand times, I'm definitely making profit. I happen to break even this time, and I happen to be on a little bit of a losing run on the coupons right now. I mean, I'm up overall long term, it's just since November. It's been a little bit rough um uh, a lucky 15 again um i've been breaking even on them for a few months um but those are like plus ev lottery tickets these lucky um these lucky 15s get this one though from the 20 no the 8th of january so this is less than a week ago i've got um majestic merlin in the 205 and Win Canton. right i've got Prime Ventura in, at 17 to 1 at the 3 o'clock at Sandown. I've got Midnight Christo at 15 to 2 in the 1.30 at Wincanton. Now, that Midnight Callisto at 15 to 2 came third in a race with 14 runners in it. So that's a place, right? Happy days, place at 15 to 2, that's profit. The only issue is the fourth horse on that slip... Written down clearly in front of me now is Pilsden Penn at 125 to 1 at William Hill. And there were no non-runners in this race. And Midnight Castillo, well, we'd already had him, so we can't put two horses from the same race into the same Lucky 15. You can obviously only have one horse from every single race. We've already got Midnight Castillo at 15 to 2. Um uh, Pilsdon Pen was actually higher EV but at 125 to 1 20 times or so less likely to come in than midnight Castillo and so my runner made a decision that he would scribble out Pilston Pen he would keep midnight Pistillo, uh Castillo and the last ho- horse was Olive brand something or other um, uh, um, in the sundown four o'clock. So, how did they all do? Well, um, we got a winner with Prime Ventura at 18 to 1 in the 3 o'clock. So, that's pretty decent, right? We're already off and flying now. Um, we get another place from uh, one of the other horses. It doesn't matter which one. So, we've got a place and a winner at 18 to 1. Midnight Castillo could only place at 15 to 2. And so that was a return on a ninety-pound lucky fifteen of two hundred and twenty pounds. Had Pilsdon Pen been in the slip instead of Midnight um, Callisto, that slip would have returned eighteen thousand one hundred and seventy-six pounds, which is very much like well, if I had if I had a fricking cowboy hat, I would be a fricking we, somebody, I showed that to somebody, and they replied just with the word "grim." It's not grim. Um, it's funny more than anything else. It really is. It's part of the game. It's just part of it. Again, I mean, I must have had so many winners, where I was very lucky to get the winner this time. I, I missed out on eighteen thousand pounds, but it, uh, you know, these things happen. Um, uh, there's quite on the same day. I wasn't. No, it was a few days beforehand, um, we had um, another lucky fifteen. This one was on football. Um, using the uh, bet builder the calculator on the site i got um four plus ev bets on the football um and c- when you can filter by william hill on them um, and have a look at the odds that are on the your odds um online all of those are available in shop so if you don't have an online account, as I do not, because William Hill just do not take any money online without restricting you, no matter if you're a winner or a loser or anything, they will just restrict you. But the good news is that those your odds under the football, they are available in shops and on SSBTs. So with a little bit of um, searching and using the bet builder, um, I had an enormously good EV bet. I mean, all of these were above 105% EV, and when you take 105% EV and combine four bets into a lucky 15 Really, quite significantly good, and it was um, Arsenal versus Sunderland. Each team to have um, over one corner in the first half. This was quite an interesting game, and um, there was a lot of um, decent TV bets on this. So, when the game finishes 5 1 with um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 cards and um, uh, all the corners in the world, you're very happy. There were seven corners in total in the first half, two of them for Arsenal. Five of them for Sunderland, so that one won with some relative ease. Uh, the next one we found was Villarreal versus Alaves, so over one goal in each half. So you love it. Well, we had 5-1 in the Arsenal-Sunderland game. 5-2 in this game, three goals in the first half. Um, and four goals in the second half. Easy. Um, and those were both 5-1, to one, both of those bets. And they're both in. The, the third one, um, Juventus... Versus Cagliari, Juventus over two corners in each half. Um, well, seven corners in the game, but they split it four in the first half, three in the second half. So thank you very much, Juventus. And then the and that was at two point two five. And then a shorty, a smally, just to finish it off. Sevilla versus Barcelona, at least one card. In each half, never in doubt. A card after 11 minutes, you know it's coming in. There was a second card in the first half, and there was one, two, three, four, five, a million cards in the second half, and a red just to top it off um, for Barcelona. Um, and that was. A- 1 to 5, but that's odds of 5 to 1, 5 to 1, 5 to 4, and 1 to 5. Overall odds of the Lucky 15, um, 97.2, 96 to 1, and was able just to walk into the shop. shop. I mean, um, I remember on the day I worked out what the fair odds of it should be, and it was down at about, you know, once you've compounded them, it was 48 or something like that. I mean, we've got a 200% EV slip. But not just did the doing the straight multiple, did the lucky fifteen. So had all the trebles, had all the doubles, had all the singles as well, and uh, well into four figures return from that um, lucky fifteen. So you know, I'm not going to moan about Pilsden pen not coming in for 18 grand when uh, um, I'm getting some delightful lucky fifteen wins like this. And then the first, um, the first golfing event of the year was interesting, of course first two weeks of the year, we are just down to um, one tournament, at a very difficult time to watch, because it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in Hawaii Um, and uh, this first on the century tournament of champions started last year with three winners on the bounce, one, two, three ended the year on a little bit of a downswing Um, so I was hoping I could start this year relatively well Uh, personally I was on Cam Smith. He was quite decent EV. The only issue with putting him up as an option on the site and through weekly golf value is he was only plus EV at William Hill. William Hill were the same terms in shop as they were online, which meant that we went down to the shop and we bet on him, and we managed to return one for one from the golf um, at 30 to one. What was the odds that we got him at? Where is he? 22 to one, sorry. Um, Six places at William Hill. Um, no sorry five places at William Hill for the century tournament to champions not bad there's only 31 people 38 people in the tournament so he was quite decent TV. but um, if I'm putting him up as an option I need a very minimum of two bookmakers and they can't be related so I can't just do Paddy Power and Petfest Sportsbook it's got to be two different groups and preferably more um, and he was the only reason that I didn't put him in because he was decent TV. is that he was only good at William Hill um, and we went on to William Hill we got on him I did put up and was on myself at the exchange um, Cantley and Berger and um, um, Berger it was one of these birdie fest courses I mean the winner's got 34 under 3, and 3, with the winning three scores for Ram Cantley and Matt Jones who came from nowhere on the last day I mean that what did Matt Jones shoot on the last day 61 to follow his 62, 67 such incredible low scoring at this event um, but Berger, all he had to do... I mean, the par 5 18th was playing at about 4.2. People were either birdieing or eagling this hole. And all they needed to do uh, was for Cantley and Berger to go par or better. And Cantley gets his birdie to finish in fourth. And that's him done. And I'm looking at five positions. Um, and so all Berger has to do is um, par as well. Uh, or get his birdie. And he'll finish at 2600 with Cantley. And that's it. I've got the full places. The fact is Berger was eight feet from the hole and he three-putted. And that three-put caused him to bogey and then tie fifth place with three other people. And that's amazing what that dead-heat place for three other people does for your profit. You know what I mean? It's just like, just the three-put from eight foot was the difference between a really decent two each-way places, to which is significant profit on the overall event, to making a minor loss. And all from Berger just having... Two putts to get in from eight feet. Dan Berger playing some of the best golfers in his entire life just now. So there you go. This week, um, we are one um, round down. Um, Kevin Nahr leads. Kevin Nara is on my list. So that's, um, it, well, it's, it's early doors to call it after 18 holes. We know that. So um, hopefully that's a really sort of, you know, I'm highlighting a lot of the the losing there. Because it's important, I think, when you're talking about these things to be a little bit balanced and not always talk about winning and winning and winning. So not talking always about winning and winning and winning. Welcome back, the African Cup of Unders, it's the African Cup of Nations. I remember saying it in 2017, I remember saying it in 2019, and that is, I'm never betting on this goddamn tournament again. (laughs) And yeah, I never learned my lesson. Having a look at it um, in 2019, a, a whopping 35% of games had uh, one goal or less, and uh, 10% of games had zero goals. So 45% of games had one goal or less, and another 30% had two goals or less. So 75% of games are under 25 I mean, that's whopping. That's an enormous... I don't know why. I have no explanation. I've not read anything about it. But it's just so many games are finishing nil-nil or one-nil to one of the sites. And I remember saying at the time, that we have to stop betting on over goals, which is the tendency with bookmakers, because there tends to be more bets on overs. So you're finding, especially what what odds, paddies, and requester bets, and um, picky puts 99% of these are for things to happen, not things not to happen. Um, so it's e- that's why it's easier to bet on overs. Um, but I remember saying I'm going to bet on unders. Well, the first n- nine games of this tournament completely killed me because I'm still I've gone back to betting on overs. I'm looking at things like you know, Fred's boosted a team to win and both teams to score. So I've gone up on Smarkets and I've provided a load of liquidity for that. Um, let's just let's just have a look at the. Oh, incidentally, I'm on two games just now that have started i didn't realize they'd started that's interesting um so having a look at the uh th- these are the results so far are you listening are you ready are you sat back okay um the very first game was Cameroon, it was 2-1 right three goals in that game and then we went one nil, one nil, one nil, one nil, one nil, nil nil, one nil, nil nil, nil one nil, one nil, one nil. One nil. <laughs> and then we went four-one Cameroon against so the Cameroon lights scoring goals. Followed up by a, well, that's bucked the trend, has not it? No, we're back to one nil and nil nil. Seventy-two percent of games so far have had exactly one goal in it, and fifteen percent of games have had no goals in it. Eighty-seven percent of games have had less than uh, two goals. And less than two goals can be up to 3.0 in the game. So starting three days ago, I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Bang overs. I've never learned my lesson. I started placing um, doubles, trebles, lucky 15s, uh, Trixies, all kinds of multiples that I can get my hands on, um, on the um, unders, wherever I can. Under 1.5. I like under 1.5, by the way. I find it more fun betting under 1.5 than any other kind of betting when i'm watching the game because when you're nil nil and there hasn't been a goal and someone misses uh, or you know it's a it's a it's a free kick and it just goes into rosette you're cheering that and you end up cheering way more things than when you're betting on overs and very few things happen over the game that go your way and then um one goal goes in you still you're, your bet's still live so i've got my lucky 15 on today um uh, It started off Senegal nil, Guinea nil. 30 minutes in, it's Malawi nil, Zimbabwe nil. Morocco do have a goal against Comoros, 1-0. So we've got 60 minutes to survive then. Um, What was the game that I was on the other day? This was hilarious, this game. Um, Let's go African Cup of Nations. It'll spring back to my memory when I look at the results. Uh, results. The game was a country that began with C, Tunisia. <laughs> so I'm on Tunisia-Mali. I feel like it was quite an early goal. It was an early second-half goal. It was an early second-half goal. So I'm on my under 1.5. Goal goes in the penalty in the 48th minute. So um, I've got to survive the the better of the entire second half with no goals. Um, 77th minute... There's a penalty for Tunisia. So statistically, I'm now a um, 75% dog for this bet to lose. Um, But to be fair, it was a worldie from the goalkeeper. He saves it. And then in the 84th minute, there is a red card, and I'm loving it. I'm like, eat up the time, eat up the time, because I don't want any action on either side. And then, 85 minutes and 30 seconds in, the referee... ...blows his whistle for full time. (laughs) So what are you doing? He's on the unders as well, obviously. And then everyone's looking at their watches... ...and they're like, "Uh, dude, you've got another full five minutes... ...plus uh, VAR time, plus red card time, plus the drinks breaks. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, there's so much left in this game... ...and you've just called it then. Um, And then somehow he gets to 89 minutes and 30 seconds... And, um, well, this happens. Soon
1: we'll find out how many minutes of added time they will be. Well, this time, he has definitively brought the match to the end and there's still not 90 minutes on the clock. Jenny Sikazwi signals that Marty have won this game 1-0 and it's only now that we're going to tick out rounds at 90 minutes on the clock. Kabaya is furious, he thought he was going to get a lot longer with 11 against 10 surely there had to be some stoppage time for the bar hold-ups, the cards and the cooling break Mohamed
0: Magasuba will be delighted if that is the end of the match it's finishing in confusion here in Limbe and with a very angry Algerian coach Kabaya. Controversy in what actually ended up happening was um, they went off the pitch. All the bets are settled. The bets comes in in my bookmaker. I'm betting a, a, this particular double at Smarkets, which despite the fact that they, take a, they shave a little bit off on the multiple, um, it was still higher than our game centre odds because um, there was quite a lot of trading fluctuation going on. So you can certainly get edges there. Compound those edges into multiples. Um, So they go off the pitch. They have the showers. They do the press conferences. Then the African Cup of Unders dudes come in and say, nah, mates, you're going out on the pitch and you're going to play out the rest of the five minutes extra time that there should have been at the end of this. So, 30 minutes after the game finishes, they all come back onto the pitch. I say them all, it's actually just Marley, who won the game 1 0, come back onto the pitch. Tunisia have stayed in the dressing room, and despite the fact that they're the team that would benefit from an extra five minutes, because they're playing against 10 minutes and they're the team that's down, they're refusing to come back out in the pitch. And I'm suddenly thinking, what happens if um, Tunisia lose the game? because it's been voided because they've refused to come out onto the pitch. Would that be a 3-0 victory to Mali and therefore my under 1.5 loses? Get back on the pitch. I don't know what I want to happen. Anyway, the game is called off at, um, like um, for the second time because Tunisia didn't come back onto the pitch 30 minutes after the game ended before the game should, should have ended, if you know what I mean. And um, the game is settled as 1-0. Absolute scenes in the African Cup of uh, Unders. So I got my ass handed to me um, across the first few days, it wasn't nine days by the way, it was three days, it felt like nine days just because I was losing so much um, but um, that extraordinary set of results since a switch to the unders which have been nil nil one nil 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 one nil one nil one nil 4-1 loss of money on one nil and 0 nil. the rest of them um, I've easily made back and I'm now surging into profits so I'll just take under 1.5 for every game until the end of it long live the African Cup of unders. Ah! E or oh, it's the edit donkey here. This part of the podcast coming up, I recorded before Christmas. Didn't actually intend there to be such a gap between Trench's podcast and now, but red wine, mince pies, and Santa Claus got in the way what are you gonna do about it? So um, we had a chat with Andrew who works in politics, which is pertinent because we're talking about the all party parliamentary group, the quango that is the Gambling Commission, the changes in legislation and the consultations that are going on just now and what we can do to affect those things if we think that we may have fears about the direction that certain things are going on. So if you hear any references about the festive season, perhaps Christmas coming up, um, well, This explains why you're hearing them now. Edit Donkey out. So the topic of restrictions and limits seems to come and go like waves across the ocean. And I have no idea why. Every few months we seem to have quiet periods and everybody's talking about how unfair it is that they can't be laid a bet. And then it goes away and it comes back. And... You know, I don't intend to sounding big-headed, but as advantage players in the more professional and full-time spectrum, I'd hope that we realize that restrictions are just an inevitable component of the game. I mean, part of a game is finding a way of getting on. It always has been and always will be. If we start forcing bookmakers to lay bets to us all, then the low-hanging fruit becomes a bit too easy to exploit, and that has an effect on all of us. Andrew, what is your opinion on that? Restrictions,
1: are they fair? Well, it's like you say. I mean, restrictions have always happened. I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to um, i have just thought back to uh, carry on on your convenience. Actually, where um, said <laughs> James had the talking bird, which um, seemed to identify the winners. I remember mean, he was put on a five pound limit. <laughs> so uh, that that is an absolute throwback. <laughs> Carry on. I may have to watch that later. That'd be a Christmas movie. Yeah, that would be on over Christmas. So it's always yeah. one of the favourites. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so it, it's it's an inevitability. But um, and you you accept it. I mean, just to give some of my background, you know, I was um, I, I was doing this pretty much full time. In the early two thousands, when we had lots of low hanging fruits with um, Lovebet, um, who kicked it Love all that. off. Lovebet, I, 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 they, don't, that, I don't remember them. Yes, well, not many people do. They went bust um, because okay. they, they they started the trend of the early prices um, the night before, and their, their right, prices yeah, yeah. were were outrageously good for the punter
0: and obviously bad for the company. Was it they yes. just um they just put them up overnight and didn't cut them yeah. or
1: um yes um okay. and it it was yeah you know, it was like a I mean I'm not sure what the old compiler they had to had yeah. doing it because obviously Betfair was very much in its in, in its infancy yeah. but um, yeah. but yeah, there's always been a AK phrase
0: employed. with there's always been a phrase with putting the prices up early don't be a hero because um, the the person <laughs> that goes first the compiler that goes first it, it can't win. No um so yeah so they impl- they
1: employed cowboys but yeah they, they sort of set this tr- they 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 set this this trend um where the early prices went up the night before i mean remembering back it used to be about 10 a.m. before certainly on maidens and and claiming races and something and stuff some mm. uh, so um but yeah so so they sort of set this trend and that and i say but bookmakers um they put the they put the early prices up, and the you know the sharks are circling, yeah so yeah, exactly anyway, so that was a very and it was quite clever and they're still and they're still doing it it's it's a very clever way of identifying who your sharks are, and you um if if you weighed in at twelve to one the night before and you know it's cut cut in the morning to five to one, you know it's 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 good night for you for your account. So that's yeah, that's that's always been part of a game, and you know we have our you know there's quite a few ways of trying to make your account look like it's a mug account and trying to, trying to beat the algorithm. Sure. As it is now, and you know that that's part part of the game, but it's unfortunately it's it's just getting harder and harder because the bookmaker business model seems to have moved from you know, the old days of Ladbrooks, William Hill, Coral and Tote, and they were the big four, and you had your price rise in the morning. You yeah, know, we've moved on from that. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and there's a the queue, of,
0: queue yes. of people outside of Betfred at exactly, was it 9.05 in the morning or 9.30? Yes, yes, like 9, 9, <laughs> big, Mac, big Mac had put,
1: I'm showing my age now, I'm getting old, but yeah, Big, big Mac had put it up on the... Um, on the morning line, and yes, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed for 15 minutes and, and you're there to get on. Um mm. Unfortunately, the bookmakers have moved on to a model where they want to push, identify the winners, get rid of them as quickly as possible, keep the losers and push them into casinos where they know they can't mm. lose. Um, and there's, you know, the, the traders don't seem to be there, but it's you don't get the old... The old bookmakers are willing to sort of take a view and that sort of thing. It's it's all very much a numbers game, yeah. And yeah. Um, that is not to the punter, well, to the um, advantage players, um,
0: advantage. Well, advantage. I know what you mean. It's, it, it doesn't it doesn't serve to um, help our cause. But of course, moving with the times and finding different ways of having edges and it's all part of the game. And I don't get, I don't ever get too annoyed at bookmakers um being forced to restrict people because sometimes i treat it maybe like a game of poker it's like if somebody calls your bluff and you lose all your money you go oh, how could they call that well of course they won the pot and if you were them you would want to do the same thing as well and with bookmakers there's a restricting people well i would want to restrict people if i was a bookmaker as well whether we cross the threshold of fairness or we already have i'm i'm not sure yeah i mean to
1: be honest i mean obviously yeah, there's a bad each way races where you know 15, 15 years ago or something like that you may you may have been able to have sort of got your money on mm-hmm. and you know that you can understand restrictions based on that if some if someone's just going in to take advantage of the maths and mm-hmm. that sort of thing but unfortunately what's happening is that people who are playing playing a fair, what I'd call a fair game they they're doing their study they've identified a bit of value um you'd think that the bookmaker has done their job properly um and you know it, it it's what i'd call a 50-50 battle yeah, unfortunately yeah. They, they, the bookmakers don't want to go in for the 50-50 battles anymore because sure. they are they they just want to play the numbers mm-hmm. and they they don't want to compete against anyone who potentially they're not even this, this is not even people who are winners it's people who mm-hmm. potentially may be winners Mm. and may and may take the odd decent price they're just mm. thinking well we don't we don't need the aggro of monitoring then then let's just let's just get the mug, mugs <laughs> who are doing the acres and we can point towards the casinos
0: one thing one thought i had and we're going to come to single customer view in a little bit um but i did have the thought i don't know perhaps a little bit from my perspective is if you are hedging and laying your bets, I think at that point, it's, I, I, I have more sympathy with the bookmaker. I'm, I'm more, I'm like, I don't mind the bookmaker getting rid of the business of people that are taking money out without any risk to any to their financial bottom line. And if we have a single customer view where they may be viewing that thousands of pounds are going into the exchange at markets and Betfair and BetDAC and stuff like that, um, then I don't, I'm, I'm not perhaps I'm being a little bit selfish because if we got rid of those guys, maybe our lives would be easier. Maybe they'd be harder because we can't manipulate them. On yeah, the exchange. I mean, but,
1: yeah I mean but... Ar- arbors can't expect you know if it, no one can expect a free lunch, so you know, yeah, arbors sure. Arbers must expect to be um, sort of identified and um, and sort In their own got, category. Right, yeah. and sort of sort of got rid of. Um, yeah. The only, serve, I suppose, the only purpose they have really served is that they have provided a bit of liquidity on the exchange. But um... yeah,
0: exactly. And. There is the argument that you know they, they do sort of help some winners win a little bit more because a lot of that money in the exchange isn't good money that they're trading. But yes, yeah, so, <laughs>
1: you know, there, there, there's a bit of that. But you know, yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's be realistic, <laughs> and, and yeah, you have to be even-handed with these things. I mean, yeah, makers make are businesses, and you know, if you've got mm-hmm. someone who's continually getting a free lunch out of you. Mm-hmm. um I uh, yeah i don't really i don't really have too much of a problem with those sorts of being identified
0: well times certainly seem to be changing and there's a lot of worry amongst various communities about what we can do in terms of legislation and um things like that um andrew woodman you are cabinet member on north west leicester district council so um perhaps you could argue you have maybe at least some influence inside um, the political circles, but also, uh, as we can understand, you have a a background in is it horse racing or is it other forms of gambling as well? Um, horse racing, I,
1: I mean, back in the early sort of two thousands before I got into politics i was um i I did horse race and i used to play poker and when drunk americans were on and and that sort of thing and you know it was it was a days of low hanging fruit Mm. um wake up on a sunday morning yeah Poker stars off abc (laughs) absolutely and um yeah in those days it was it was not that difficult to, uh, to mm-hmm. win if you, if you just applied some sort of basic, uh, basic principles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, but I found, I found sort of the, the life quite sort of solitary. And, um, I, to be honest, I, I, I was getting fat because, you know, you, you don't, you don't really want to leave it, leave it for, you ended up not wanting to leave it for a day because that might be your big day and that sort of thing. So, I sort of drift i drifted into politics just as a me. I just started delivering some leaflets to start with and sort of um, and then it drifted into um into a full-time career so i um I've worked for an MP um since 2010 I worked on the campaign beforehand um so that's that's given me a bit of insight into sort of how Westminster works um whilst I've also sort of played a bit sort of part-time with the uh, with the horses and that sort of thing I sort of kept my hand in but um,
0: nothing to the extent that uh, that I used to so can I ask you what you think your opinion of what Westminster's opinion is of what is going on just now we obviously have a massive review going on behind the scenes that's been going on for years and seems like no sign of ending anytime soon but um have you um been exposed to, are you worried at all about this review what's going on do you have any sense of what they are talking about and where they might be going
1: yes i do have quite quite a number of concerns really i mean i, I mean to set the to set the context we obviously have to go back a few years well we go back to 2005 i think the about that sort of time when tony blair bought in his his gambling act and yeah there was a the talk of the super casinos and that and that sort of thing um and that's when things ch- sort of changed and the, obviously the, the introduction of the gambling commission i'm not convinced that they've really covered themselves in glory over um the years of their existence you know that the problem that the bookmakers caused themselves was their reaction to the fobty debate, because they the fobty sort of crept into bookmakers um, without any real sort of say so or legislation. Yeah, I, th- I think the the, legi- the the regulators were sort of asleep at the. R- at the wheel, and, and the Foxes
0: are the, um, the front of the house fixed, betting terminals, the yes, fixed yes. odds betting terminals. Sorry, fixed but odds, um, yes. and these were um, like um, the roulette machines, um, it, in the bookmaker shops, yeah, they did for a lot of their profits, didn't
1: they? Yeah, they, they replaced the slot machines, and mm. you know, so you know, lots of lots of bookmaker shops started. I mean, there'd, there'd been a period of closure, and then lots of them started popping up again. <laughs> And these optives. and they had, yeah, you know, they had state limits of five hundred pounds, which sort of look if you step back and you think, well, that's not that's far far too much for a sort of yeah. a random machine.
0: And... I mean, if it was Monte Carlo casino, uh, in uh, it's about context, isn't it? Then it's yeah. perhaps it's perhaps one thing. If it is. A, a, you know, a, a high street in an underdeveloped economic area, then that's yeah. no good, that machine in that area, you know?
1: And that, and that sort of drew lots of... And that started to draw political attention. And once you start drawing political attention, you, you, you're, you're in trouble because obviously there was people who were... Lots of people getting addicted to these. You had CCTV videos of people throwing... Um, chairs and tables at them, obviously you know, they've, they've gone and done in a fortune and that sort of thing. And that that true political attention. I say that drew political attention um, to the gambling industry. And once that starts a bit, it's a bit like Boris Johnson's parties. Once you start sort of poking around, um, it, it ends up like Pandora's box and lots of people start sort of jumping on the bandwagon. And then suddenly, suddenly, before you know it, um, you've got um, a parliamentary group for, for for sort of gambling harms, and it's the the debate has shifted so far the other way that gambling is now seen as a very um, uh, 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 where's well, seen. I'm not sure I'd go as far as drug abuse, but it certainly seems
0: along
1: the, longer, the, yeah. the longer line of smoking and that sort of thing. Mm. A, a social ill to be um, to be um, to be frowned upon.
0: I enjoyed Joseph Buchdahl's quote on this. He says in the, in um, in its twelve steps, Gamblers Anonymous emphasizes the need to admit wrongdoing and defectiveness of character, and he argues that um, ridiculing individuals like this who's Um, it is unhelpful because risk-taking in all areas of life is hardwired into us for evolutionary reasons. And a lot of us take enjoyment out of controlled risk-taking, such as sports betting, even a few people who have controlled, you know, two pounds on the FOBTs without any harm whatsoever. But it becomes a narrative, I I guess, in Parliament that um, the gambling harm um group is looking at the harm that gambling is doing to all of us and not just the few
1: yes um yes and yeah. there's obviously the the details of you know people who have committed suicide and you know their, their, their stories are are utterly tragic um but the problem is that it's you can't dictate people's behavior that i think that I don't know what their end goal is, but it's very much to try and dictate people's behavior. And they're talking about sort of affordability limits. And you know, I was at a meeting, a conference, and Ian Duncan Smith said, oh, I think it was about £100 a month. Basically, mm-hmm. he, was, he was deriding the £500 a month um, limit that Paddy Power and Betfair there. Had set had, had set for the eighteen to twenty four year olds. I think it is.
0: So um, they introduced. So they introduced this limit for eighteen to twenty four year olds. Five hundred pounds. Is it per month? Is that per month? Yes. I think it's a it's, deposit limit. Sounds um, sensible. I don't know that many eighteen to twenty four year olds with more than five hundred pounds. I guess bookmakers are going to lose out on the footballers' income, which I will probably hurt them. Ian Duncan Smith is the chair of the all one of the all. Party, yeah, parliamentary, party
1: parliamentary group for gambling harm. I think it for is, gambling harm. Yeah, I understand. Um, um, but he was he was talking about a sort of. um He doesn't see why it should be sort of a more than a hundred pounds. And the problem is that that that's. I mean, that that that's
0: ridiculous. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't need. Well, you know ridiculous, it's ridiculous, and I know it's ridiculous. And the big fear of a lot of people is not a lot of the non-gambling community know it's ridiculous. A lot of the non-gambling community would go, well, I would never lose £100, so why should anyone,
1: you know? No, I mean, this is a problem. And what they don't seem to understand is that, you know, there's quite a few people who sort of treat their betting seriously. Um, And imagine if that limit was imposed on the stock market for instance which is Mm -hmm. is essentially certainly on sports betting where where there's an element of skill um not so much for the casino the the sort of the online casinos but you know the, the the sports betting where there's an element of skill you know it's a it's essentially the same sort of processes as you'd use to pick something like that, pick a company on the stock market Do you, know you I'm could imagine like, and go on to the square mile and say sorry can yeah, I, you can only 100 pounds a, a, a month you can invest <laughs> well, anyway, you it, could it, even
0: go as far as um uh, a lot of buy to let properties um i mean it, they're, they're very comfortable whilst house prices go in the direction yeah. but there's no guarantee they will continue to and they could end up co- causing a loss um uh cryptocurrency is a whole new argument um and you could even go as far as saying um well why are you spending so much money on handbags every single month you know it, it well, gets very that... murky you know yeah and you know
1: you, you, you're going down the road of communism at, at the end of the mm-hmm. day because it, it it's the state dictating what you should spend your own money on which yes. to me is is not a very libertarian sort of stance, and it certainly doesn't square with the um, the values I thought we had in this country.
0: So why um, is Ian Duncan Smith and the All Party Parliamentary Group pushing this agenda, um, given that it seems to be such a restriction on liberty?
1: That's a great question. I mean, have been captured by they, they, I say there's an anti. There's a bit of an anti-gambling feeling, sort of generally, certainly across social media. I mean, you've got the likes of Peter Shilton and Paul Merson, who are who are sort of pushing a, um, a sort of sort of the their, their stories of sort of gambling harm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but at the end of the day, you've got 30 million people who gamble, and you know we should. De- you know, when people are have found themselves harmed by gambling you know but they should be able to wish the gambling industry should be providing support it should be providing um ways for them to beat their addiction um which i think you know there's millions of pounds being poured into the um you know the the, the gambling um gambling i'm not sure what they, they call it now is it it's not gamblers anonymous but you know those, those sort of um those, those sort of groups oh, and yes. charities yeah um yeah which is a good thing the the problem is um this, this we may go on to this with the uh, single customer view but what they they don't seem to be taking account of the unintended consequences of, of this because if you yeah. it's go if you go down a road of prohibition i mean i'm i've i'm re- reading the moment uh, jamie reed's uh, book about um Victor Chandler
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the um the scene in sort of the eighteen fifties when there used to be betting shops, but they they all got closed down and you had sort of bookies on the street and the black market and, and you know debts being enforced in a non legal way.
0: That was a and, century of prohibition as well, wasn't it? it was...
1: And it, it feels like yeah, we could be going down down that route because for the way, you know, and then mm-hmm. just replace, you know, street bookies with people betting on WhatsApp, which I know is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've, I've been told, I've seen you know, that it is, is happening already um, for people who can't get a, a decent bet on the bookmakers. um, you know, so, so you, you, you can't control society in
0: this sort of way. In, I know in, I know in America, um, most people that want to have a bet on the NFL load up one of the Caracow or, caribbean um, sports books that yeah. take cryptocurrency and they just deposit their bitcoin into there and that's the way that they can bet on nfl it doesn't stop anybody from doing it it just means that it becomes unregulated
1: it's extra one of the extraordinary thing things really that we seem to be sort of going away from our liberalized laws on gambling whilst the usa um, are going the other way and are actually starting to open up open mm-hmm. up the gambling market which you know it, it's it seems very strange but i suppose all these things work in a cycle
0: absolutely so so we have the all parliament party parliamentary group pushing the um um the uh d- deposit limits i have to say i think i've seen um information i'm not quite sure where but i think i saw that the 100 pound limits are something that have almost completely been dismissed from conversation i hope that's right and i hope I'll because I, I, I can't quote anywhere that i've seen it. i'm just off the top of my head read somewhere about that that doesn't mean that there's not any risk moving forward to um just getting on because there is more than just the um the arbitrary limits and of course by the way if you're betting at one to ten and then that's game over once you have any arbitrary limits and um, put yes. in place um but um things like source of wealth and single customer view and um um the documents that the bookmakers want have always been a problem but in the last 12 months um they're getting a lot worse i don't know if you've experienced that and if anything it looks like it's going to get even more worse if the single customer view is going to come in place Yes,
1: I mean I have had um, my own Betfair account. Did um, I, it's a profitable account, but it had a period of variance where it lost twenty five percent of the previous year's profits. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I I had this call from a um, gentleman from from Betfair who um, was asking me all kinds of personal questions about my I my spending, or whether I'm in control, and all that all that sort of thing, which I didn't take that kindly to. Um, of course, because
0: I, I mean, why should you? I mean, why should you hand over the most personal of information to this person on the end of the phone? Even down to the current, what is his training to get to the point where he can ask you these questions? He could literally
1: be anybody. Well, yes, yeah, so he didn't seem to understand the concept of variance, um, which I think is, is going to be the major problem for for, for gamblers, what, sort of going – well, so, certainly those who know what they're doing because you know mm-hmm. we, we none of us win all the time. We all experience losing runs and trying to get across to – um, you know, some guy in a call centre, the difference between a losing run when you're in control and you've got a fund set aside to sort of deal with it and someone mm-hmm. who just lose, losing control. And I was being asked all questions about my income and that sort of thing. And I was being asked. And then it ended up, because I'd got the figures for the last sort of couple of years, which sort of proved the profits I'd made. Um, then I was having to be asked to prove that I'd not spent them all. So I, know, I was been asked to send, you know, details of my pay slips and my, um, you know, my share accounts and bank accounts and all that sort of thing, um, which I completely drew the line at. Um,
0: was, was there a part in the back of your mind thinking Betfair now associated not only with Betfair Sportsbook, but Paddy Power? And I do wonder if a lot of these questions are profiling um, or are they genuinely about harm? Well, I mean, it could be that. I
1: mean, my initial feelings were, does Betfair really, does this company, I shouldn't call them Betfair, it's Betfair Paddy Power, but does this company really want the exchange anymore? Is the exchange Mm -hmm. providing enough income against what it's costing to keep concessions going? Um, And, you know, getting into... it sent me towards sort of a conspiracy theory because I just found the whole process utterly bizarre. Um, and we we agreed in the end that a deposit limit, which was sort of um, half my monthly income, which isn't ideal, but I can just about I can just about live with. I just can't. But of course, if you've
0: won... withdrawn any money from it anymore, if you'd won a significant amount more than your monthly income in the last couple of years, you're now banned from you know um depositing that essentially what is house money you know yeah. you've won it from the house it could be various different houses and now an arbitrary limit is put onto your account where you only half of the amount of money that you earn a month can go in and that in itself you know if you wanted to start laying off some horses in a race um you presumably yeah, your monthly know. income isn't going to help you do that is it you
1: know? I mean, they're, they're essentially restricting my trade, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mm. just having to sort of keep money lo- loaded up there. But so yeah, and um, also, I mean, the the comp, I understand it's going to some sort of third party the
0: the documents, um, which is it? You know, I, I it, did always yeah. wonder. Um, I always wondered if I send. My bank statement to a bookmaker—is it literally the bookmaker that sits there and goes through it, or is it a third company that no, third party? No, I, do
1: that un, that. No, I do understand it's a third party, which obviously drew a number of concerns, particularly when you sort of work in the field of field of politics. I mean, who who is going to end up with this information? And they they tried to assure me, you know, oh, we've got all kinds of sort of uh, protocols and that sort of thing, but you know. The, Fifteen years ago, HMRC lost 20, a disc with twenty-six million people's um, yeah. tax details on. So, yeah, you what's know, so fair customer my, service
0: going to be doing?
1: Or <laughs> my my um, personal documentation mm-hmm. floating around the ether of various bookmakers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that that did not make me feel comfortable at all.
0: And, on ter- and in terms of that, there was a. a a job a few years ago, maybe a four or five years ago at the Gambling Commission, di- director level, can't remember the exact name of the job. Um, it was something to do with customer interaction, sort of looking at the, not just the bookmaker side, the customer side. I, I applied for it and I put together a portfolio of a suggestion for where I think the bookmaker industry could go in the future. So uh, um, and one of the things I think could benefit both bookmaker and customer is some sort of Gambling um, Commission uh, funded, or whatever the licensing money is going, um, use some of that to fund the middleman escrow service, completely independent, who does all of these document reviews. So when I send in my passport, it doesn't go to the bookmaker, it goes to the middle uh, government funded uh, middleman service and very will um, store that information and tell the bookmaker, this guy is, we, we verified him on your behalf. And perhaps there could be the the, the the secondary benefit that if there is a disagreement between the punter and the bookmaker, as there very frequently is, and that it is always the bookmaker that holds on to the money and is judge, jury, and executioner, unless you decide to go down arbitration. Or, but normally I go to the courts and just skip arbitration because yeah. arbitration of bookmakers funded. Um, and again, the escrow service could be the one that sits on the money. It's an, it, it just like the uh, landlord-tenant scheme, which was weighted way too in favor of the landlord, and the landlord started withholding deposits for years from students because um, they could, because it was really easy to do that. And then the independent escrow service came in and immediately solved the problem of unscrupulous landlords. And um, it was something that I felt like could really drive and benefit um, the relationship between uh, Bookmaker and consumer, if we had a middle ground escrow service making independent decisions between the bookmaker and the customer, unfortunately, I didn't even get a step a foot through the door for an interview and not quite sure it'll go anywhere. But, um... No, I mean, the,
1: the, the, the qualification to work for the Gambling Commission seems to be to have no knowledge of the gambling industry. Um, right, yes. Because, you know, that, that, that is sounds something that makes perfect sense, would benefit and would benefit the punter. Unfortunately, the Gambling Commission only seems to be interested in problem gamblers, yeah. um, which, of course, it you know it, it should have a, a huge degree of interest, but it seems to be the only focus. There seems to be no real focus on the needs of the twenty-nine point something million people who the don't you know, don't yeah. have, you know don't have a gambling issue, but. Mm-hmm. Do sometimes have issues with with bookmakers, but they, you know, they they seem to be completely asleep at the wheel um, for for sort of dealing with the, this. And yeah, you know, the, the, these these problems with sort of you know documents being requested to get withdrawals. But you know what? what how on earth is that still an issue now? Any uh, yeah. documents which are needed should be taken prior to deposit, and as soon as as soon as they've been sort of verified we're away there should be no further no further issues
0: you're right um, it was a known problem a decade ago we knew it was a problem a decade ago so how it's still a problem today and hasn't been addressed it's amazing but you mentioned off air before when we were having a chat about john Whittingdale, who was the gambling minister um um after he was secretary of state and he was yes. gambling, pro gambler and pro gambling is
1: that right well, he certainly seemed to understand the industry. And mm-hmm. he I I I understand from from what I've been told that he understood that there is a you know, the difference between skilled gambling and the unskilled casino slots that, you know, that a lot of bookmaker firms or gambling firms, a lot of time, they're not even bookmakers now, but that that, that they are pushing you towards. So I I mean I don't know which way he would have gone on the the gambling review but I think he would have probably been sort of harsher when it came to the um the unskilled um mm-hmm. um sector um and sort of um, recognized that you know a 100 pound a month for sports betting was not really very practical and yeah, hopefully that 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 has gone through but I say that, that's him, right? it, um, um Yeah, unfortunately, but Boris sacked him. But um... Chris Phelps is in
0: his place. And what is your opinion of this gentleman?
1: Well, from what I've seen so far, he does seem to have been captured by the anti-gambling lobby. Um, I would hope. I mean, I know that the horse horse betters, uh, horse racing betters forum have have, have put mm. in a, a request to, uh, to speak to him. I'm not sure if if that's been sort of um, met yet, but you know, if is, i mean, I know several speeches has already gave on sort of the, the gambling harm and using technology to deal with with gambling harm. Um, you know, you would hope. But again, as he, you say, it's
0: all the it's all the gambling harm is taking up the entire conversation, it, and perhaps the other issues that are very significant are just being lost
1: yes and' I've, yeah, I've i've seen no evidence mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully a meeting does take place but i've seen no evidence that a meeting is being arranged to speak to you know punters groups and those who mm-hmm. want to um who, who want to see a, an an industry which um, which thrives but is also fair
0: that horse betting forum what what's the name of them the h o f or something like that
1: yes yeah, uh, yeah horse yeah horse racing betters forum that was set up um ten Ten years ago, maybe more. No, I'm not sure of the precise date. From but yeah, what that's... I can
0: see, they're the, they're the prominent consumer voice. It's all, and, and they're doing a really, really good job of speaking up for the consumer. Because if they didn't, I'm not entirely sure who would. You know? Yes. Um,
1: yeah, I think it was an initiative from the um, BHA, British um, mm. Horse Racing um, Authority. Which um, sort of got them set up, and um, I've spoke to one or two of their members before, and they, um, yeah, they're trying to put. They have made some changes which have uh, mm-hmm. which have benefited the punter, but obviously, you know, this, yeah, you know, this is a fundamental um, piece of policy, and you would you would really hope as a sort of a, mm-hmm. a recognised group um, that. They would be, um, you know, they would be invited to speak. But like I say, I've not seen evidence well, that that's happened yet. But hope we live in hope. If they're not,
0: that leaves the consumer unheard, as far as I'm concerned. You have representatives from the bookmaking industry. You have representatives from the Gambling Commission. You have representatives from Parliament in legislation, and you have probably got, I'm assuming, representatives from the harm groups, the APPGs, and stuff like that. And that just leaves all the consumer groups unheard. And it's only the consumer groups that are going to pipe up about the issues of, you know, um, um, fairness in the industry and things like that. So it's important that their yes. voice is heard. Yes, and obviously, yeah, This um,
1: we're going to move on to this single customer view. Um, well, let's move on to it now.
0: Um, what do you know about single customer view? It's something that I hadn't heard of three months ago. Um, and now it's, it seems to be very, very concerning. So what is the plan
1: with this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something which I first heard about probably a year or so ago. Um, it, was, it was being floated about. Um, it would basically be a sort of database whereby um, it probably work like a, a credit rating agency. I think that's the way the, the minister's trying to sort of promote it, whereby you bookmakers can check to see that there's not too many you know if you've got accounts over several bookmakers so that you know you're not depositing two thousand pounds into every one at the same time and you know, losing everything you've got so that that's that's the theory behind it um unfortunately i why why I am rather sort of um, sceptical about it is that this has been bought in. Presumably, with the knowledge of the bookmakers, and let's not forget that bookmakers have huge lobbying power. Um, they, you know, they, they employ each one of them employs sort of many lobbyists to to lobby the government on on regulations, and they don't seem to have too much of an issue with it.
0: Well, sure. I mean, what I, I agree that it couldn't have got to this point without them turning to the bookmakers and going, "Is this technically possible?" And you, you can just see the bookmakers sitting there going, a database with everyone's betting patterns on everyone else's platforms. Yeah, we can do that. yes. yes. <laughs> rubbing their hands, going, I can see profit margins skyrocketing if we do this. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you know. So you know, one,
1: you know, the the, the idea, you know, the the concern is that one successful punter is identified mm. as a successful punter by one bookmaker. And they look, and you know, they they look into this, um, into this mm-hmm. this database, and think, well, I don't think we want to bother with him, do we? We're not all here, you know. We're not, not going to get anywhere there. So I can see how them that account, would... You've lost. Them I can all. see
0: how that. I can I can see how that would not be a concern of anyone that is not familiar with the skill element of the gambling industry um and unfortunately it sounds like this discussion is happening with the majority of those that either are not familiar or do not care because also it's like if i am not a winning gambler do i really care that my neighbor is making a couple hundred quid every day on or every month on horse racing i'm not making a couple hundred quid i don't really care that he is but it is a fundamental issue with anyone that has got a skill so this
1: is a problem so listen so with um with, I mean, via um, via the my employer, this has been sort of raised with the um, with the Gambling Commission, and mm-hmm. they are insisting that bookmakers will not be able to um, access information. In fact, I, I can quote you. I'll, I'll quote you this one. Bit. Okay. At no point, a uh, single customer view will at no point allow operators to have access to data, which would allow them to assess profitability of a customer or to inform decisions around account restrictions from a commercial perspective. Now, that sounds encouraging, but there is no detail about how. how, how who is, who is going to be the regulator
0: here? It's difficult to imagine how they're going to profile people on the amount of money that they deposit, lose and win without knowing who the winner long-term winners are it's a, it's a it's it's a juxtaposition
1: yes precisely so th- this is the fundamental problem which we you know all, all, us who are relatively successful have with single customer view um, which you know answers aren't really forthcoming I mean I've, I've been working with a um, a friend of mine who um, operates a, a podcast um the the bar stewards inquiry who are encouraging there's a, there's the a great name, the yes. stewards <laughs> Inquiry. Yes, <laughs> okay. I've, yeah. I'd encourage as, as well as listen to this. I'd encourage people to listen yeah. to that because there's some hilarious takes on it. I'll put a link the, to it in the um, in the details
0: underneath. Okay, yeah, I'm raising
1: <laughs> that. So, um, so I've worked with them, and uh, a letter's been drafted to for people to send to their MP to raise the problem of the, the single customer view. Uh, to try and just try and get it on sort of MP's radar. And obviously, you know, if, yeah. if enough people raise raise a campaign, a bit like the, ga- the gambling harms, you know, which started all this off, then hopefully we can get a bit of awareness and we can sort of get some uh, get some proper minds looking into this single customer view um, to make sure that, you know, that it isn't disadvantageous to the punter.
0: So, this is a key part of actually having you on today that I wanted to ask you this very clear question. We have a community of um a few hundred people at bookie bashing excuse the ambulance that goes past outside that unfortunately means you have to take a drink that's the rule anytime an ambulance goes by. <laughs> um we have a few hundred people who are subscribed members there's a there's up to about a thousand people that listen to the bash cast because they are interested in advantage play gambling and um I feel like um, it would be helpful if I or um, some people could give some guidance to people that are listening on things that we could do to have an effect on this particular single customer view, which could be really, really dangerous, really risky to us enjoying our pastime longer term. And you know we're all sitting around on our fingers, hoping that it goes away and having no influence. Is there anything that we can do as a community? Get together, write to someone, have a campaign. Um, what do you think?
1: Yeah, well, there's there's two things which we can do. We can write to our MPs, um, which and um, make sure that they you know we, we get a a response. And like I say there, there's a draft letter
0: which I will give you the link to. Um, oh yeah, okay. Please give me the link, to 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 that, and that. I'll drop that underneath the um, the podcast as well, so people can just immediately go
1: over to the draft letter. Yeah, uh, and I'd also suggest that people send their views into the Gambling Commission. Um, send mm-hmm. it to uh, to Andrew Rhodes, who's the interim chief executive. And you know, mm-hmm. if they if they start getting in a critical mass, enough people who are raising these concerns, and it ends up on MPs radar as well, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, it can get picked up on. You know, it is thankfully some people in the media. I think um, Bruce Millington, the the ex um, Racing Post editor, I mean, he started raising it now. Unfortunately. You know, a lot of these people in the racer media are raising it too late. I mean, we, we yeah, know, yeah he's, he's had a this.
0: long time, yeah, to raise issues for the horse racing forum, hasn't he? Yeah, yes, uh, we've we've known about this
1: this for for sort of um, quite a long time now, but unfortunately, okay, it it only starts hit now. So yeah, so um, yeah, yeah, you know, supporting people in the media, get getting onto social media when people are speaking <laughs> on. Um, against this and raising the problems, you know, like the post, comment on the post, retweet the post, just let's just Mm -hmm. create as much awareness of this as it's possible, as it's possible to do so. And hopefully that will then start to um, focus the mind of the minister
0: for anyone that has access to the bookie bashing discord forum, what I will do is I will scope, I will draft out a, a letter to Andrew Rhodes at the gambling commission, specifically around how single customer view cannot work in any form. Um, um, uh, in terms of fairness to winning betters. And if you, um, if you agree with the sentiment, come along and give me a thumbs up. And then after a period of time, we'll just um, note how many people are, uh, have the same sentiment as we do and we'll send um that message across to Andrew and hopefully he can hear that you know there are hundreds of people in just this one small community who share these concerns and don't really see any positive or um useful outcome to the single customer view other than the profiling of winners by bookmakers um Listen, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on to the BashCast and having a chat today. I really appreciate you taking some time It's been a great pleasure. Um, Before you go, um, I usually do a quiz, but it's Christmas time, so I've got one question for you with only one answer. You've got to give me the correct answer, though, and that is, what is the number one Christmas song of all time? Oh, wow. Um, I've...
1: Oh, that's, that's, that's... I do like um, Wizard. I wish it could be Christmas every day, because um, he's the only one I've ever seen shopping in boots in Derby, close to me, (laughs) Roy Wood. (laughs) So that's shopping. (laughs) He was shopping in boots in in Derby. It was a few years ago. So he's only um, he's the only uh, purveyor of Christmas songs that I think I've I've sort of been, been within a social distance of.
0: Two so, questions. Um, one, how did you recognise Roy Woods in boots near Derby? And two, were you tempted to run up to him and just scream very loudly, it's Christmas, in his ear? <laughs> um, the first one, um, I'd, I'd seen
1: it. I think I'd seen him on, a, <laughs> on an episode of Benny Dorm or something. <laughs> on something. Okay. I'd, see, I'd okay. see, sort of seen him fairly recently. And um, I'm always tempted to do things like that. I mean, so... The latest story I had on screaming in someone's face, I'm a Derby County supporter and um, I I don't know if people will have known, but our our ex-captain got sacked because he got into a car with another player who was drunk and ended up crashing it and getting himself injured. It was a long story. It was in the media. But I saw him in Blackpool getting into a car and I was tempted to scream to him... He's not he's not drunk well, not drunk, I was gonna say something slightly stronger, but he's not drunk, is he, Richard? But I um, I I relented, but I sort of wish I'd done that somehow. But um yes. I am um, sorry, rambling on but um it's always, no, no, it's no, always it's, it's, it's it's tempting, especially when, you know, when you're sort of in Westminster, it's always tempting to mm-hmm. um, shout a few catchphrases at various characters. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I managed to, uh, I managed to uh, restrain myself.
0: <laughs> There's a famous story of somebody who stopped by the police um, driving a bus full of children after he'd had been in the pub all afternoon. He said, officer, I am not drinking and driving. I was drinking earlier. And now I'm driving. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Andrew, listen. Thank you so much for coming on to the Bashcast today. We will get those um, letters scripted over to Andrew Rhodes, and then um, I'll drop some links underneath the Bashcast for people to um, go to your template letter uh, to write to their MPs, and to check out the Bar Stewards Inquiry podcast. Thank you very much. That's Cheers, fun. Andrew. Thanks. Thanks a lot.